the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, we have the big uh, World Economic Forum global initiative, something or other, going on in uh, Davos, Switzerland. The Bond villains are gathering over there trying to figure out how to keep us from ever eating meat again or having any control over our own lives. But uh, some people are really enjoying it. Here is uh, U.S. climate czar John Kerry talking about how cool it is that all these elites get to gather together. Pretty extraordinary that we, select group of human beings, are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. A select, what did he say? A select group of what? Pretty extraordinary that we, select group of human beings, Uh are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. Man, if you ever doubted Democrats have a God complex, how about that? How many private planes are on the tarmac <laughs> oh, for that got, one? You, you got ahead of me there. This is a pre- <laughs> this is a priceless comment from John Kerry. When I play it with Dana Perino's live reaction to it on Fox News. Pretty extraordinary that we, select group of human beings, are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. Wait for it. Oh, geez. Uh, U.S. Climate Envoy, John <laughs> Kerry, droning on about saving the environment at a conference where more than 1,000 people arrive by private jet. Thank you. There you go. Thank you very much. She's got you covered. Yes. Yeah, 1,000 people. Oh, my goodness. And the private jets are not, I saw a picture of them. They look like full U.S. passenger planes, not like. The little teeny Not little private commuter no. planes. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. They're like well, you know, big they, time. They got to have their entourage, and 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 they they have to have room to stretch out and take a shower, probably. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure it's a very very comfortable existence. But John Kerry has said before, I have to fly private. I mean, he can't be some an elite group of individuals like he and his pals cannot be asked to sit next to the likes of ordinary people. Of course not. On a transcontinental flight. No, no, no. I just got a kick out of that uh, John Kerry hubris there and uh, Dana Perino's reaction. Here it is one more time. Pretty extraordinary that we, select group of human beings, are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. Oh, geez. Uh, U.S. Climate Envoy, John Kerry. Droning on about saving the environment at a conference where more than a thousand people arrive by private jet. Dana Droning. Perino, Dana Perino is one of the like nicest people on television. She's mm-hmm. like she's Gutfeld makes great fun of her for being so super nice. Her and Shannon Bream. She's pretty snarky. She there. had it up to her neck mm-hmm. with that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so now the next big fight in Washington, because there's always a big fight in Washington, is going to be over something they call the debt ceiling. 
We are $31 trillion plus dollars in debt as a nation, and we have the U.S. dollar, the world's reserve currency. Everything is based off the U.S. dollar. If we were to default on our debt, not pay our bills, well, that would not be good for our status on the world financial stages. So we are not going to run out of money to borrow until June. So this is going to be a fight. You're going to hear more and more and more about the looming debt crisis. It'll really ramp up in the middle of May and always before when this debt ceiling fight has taken place, Republicans end up getting the bad end of the stick. Now, of course they do, because 90% of the media outlets that report on something like this are enslaved to Democratic ideology, so they're not going to position anything from a Republican point of view. So I get it, but I also get that, as Mark Thiessen said last night on Special Report, the reason why we have to borrow so much money is because the debt payments on U.S. debt are going up because, well, what would happen to you right now if you went to borrow money for a car loan or a home loan? You're paying a higher interest rate, right? Well, so is the federal government. If they're borrowing money, they're paying a higher interest rate or will now and into the future as long as the Fed is uh, doing what it's doing to try to control inflation. So the Democrats have spent us into this dilemma. And I think the key thing for the Republicans is just not to give anyone a reason why this problem can be laid at the feet of Republicans. And you can hear how much of a dilemma this is when you listen to Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Now, John Kennedy is a fiscal conservative. He does not want to borrow any more money. He knows that Mr. and Mrs. America cannot do that, so why should the federal government be able to do that? When it comes to the debt ceiling, uh, here's the truth as I see it. If you're going to have a party, you have to pay the band. If you're going to borrow money, you have to pay it back. That's true as a moral principle and a principle of practicality. And you, you, don't, you don't have to be a senior at Caltech to figure that out. Now, here's the truth part. Congress had a spending party. More specifically, the House Democrats, not the House Republicans, the Senate Democrats and a whole lot of Senate Republicans had a spending party. I didn't vote to do it. I, I would have been happy with a couple of beers after work. But they wanted to have a spending party, and it wasn't just Democrats in the Senate. Um, Those bills passed with a lot of Republican support. The omnibus, the so-called infrastructure bill, uh, the the CHIPS big tech bailout bill, even the the gun control bill, which passed with Republican support, cost $15 billion. And that's the unvarnished truth. Now, are the House Republicans correct? Absolutely. I mean, the House Republicans have been pretty consistent. Their principle is when you run out of money, you don't get to spend anymore. And that's how it is for you and I. Nevertheless, this is a fight that the White House knows it will win. That is why the White House takes a zero tolerance policy on negotiating 
the debt ceiling. We should be uh, dealing with the debt ceiling without, without conditions. Uh, it is important. We're not going to work our way around this. We're not going to negotiate on this. This is the basic, the basic duties of Congress is to deal with this issue. Now, the basic duty of Congress is to not spend money that Congress does not have. So she has a flawed view of it because, of course, she does. She's a Democrat, and they believe that they're always right and that the next big social program is the best social program, the social program to end all social programs that will fix everything and make everything better, although it never happens and hasn't since the Great Society was enacted by Lyndon Johnson in the mid-1960s. So why do we keep raising the debt ceiling? Well, here's John Kennedy explaining why he will, despite what you just heard him say, will eventually vote to raise the debt ceiling. Here's what I fear will happen. The House Republicans are going to pass a bill raising the uh, debt ceiling with cuts to spending. I'll support it. But when, when they send it to President Biden and Senator Schumer, those two gentlemen won't even pause their video games to look at it. They're going to say, no, we're not going to negotiate. Default if you want to. Um, I'm working on a bill. I, I don't know if Senator Schumer will bring it to the floor. Don't even know if Senator McConnell will support it. But to try to force the parties to negotiate. I don't know if it will work. But I don't know anything else to do at this point. I do know this. I am not going to vote to default on the debt of the United States of America. Even though I didn't run it up, I'm not going to do it. I have a fiduciary obligation to the, to, the, to the American people. I'm a senator. I've tried to rise above it, but I'm a senator. And, and I'm going to fulfill my fiduciary obligation. See, I love John Kennedy because he tells you the truth, and you can see in his voice and hearing his voice right there, he doesn't want to do it. But his fiduciary duty, which means he has to do, he's bound to do what's best for the American people, and it's not best to do something that will end with the American dollar not being the world's reserve currency, and that's what happens if you default on your debt. All right. We have a bunch of news from the local crime scene, which we could do this every single day, and I don't like to do this every single day, but this has gotten a lot of attention locally, so I'm going to delve into the death of Sinzay Reed. He was a uh, 13-year-old boy, Wedgwood Village Apartments, uh, died on October the 12th, and his family has become increasingly vocal here in recent weeks about why was the person who shot Sinze Reed not charged with murder? Why is this person not in the Franklin County Jail? And the reason, and and of course, the way that this is positioned is that. The person who shot Sinze Reed is not in jail because the police don't want to hold a white person accountable for the death of a black kid. Uh, the autopsy report is in. What does it say? We'll tell you next. Before I get to the uh, Sinze Reed autopsy, uh, what it shows and uh, how... <laughs> disingenuous is the reporting of the autopsy in the dispatch? I know, shocker. I got to read you a really insightful tweet that I just saw from uh, Myra Flores. Now, Myra Flores was the superstar Republican 
congresswoman, congresswoman for like, what, a month and a half? And then they uh, defeated her in her re-election bid because they redistricted her. It was already redistricted before she won her first seat, but it was flipping. And so she's no longer in Congress, but she continues to say really insightful things. And this is a pretty simple question. She says, if we are pronounced dead when our heart stops, why are we not pronounced alive when our heart starts? Right? I mean, just that's a pretty good question, right? You're not dead till your heart stops. Why aren't you alive when your heart starts? Well, in Ohio, you would be. If we didn't have an activist judge in Hamilton County Common Police Court that was allowing the systematic slaughter of children after the heartbeat begins. Now, it's never, ever good in any way, shape, or form when a young person dies, and we have way too many young people dying in the city of Columbus. That I want to establish up front. It needs to be said, even though I think it is inarguable that anyone would say it. We lost a 13-year-old boy, Sinze Reed, in October in a shooting near his home in the Wedgwood Village Apartments. There have been multiple protests, press conferences, allegations, social media postings that have flared up in recent weeks as the family has began uh, has begun an effort to pressure prosecutors to bring charges against the 36-year-old white male who admits that he fired a gun, fired a weapon at Sinze Reed, and Sinze Reed died as a result of the two bullet wounds he suffered, really as a result of one, which an autopsy released yesterday shows uh, hit him in the chest and uh, damaged his heart and lung before exiting in his back. Now, the story is reported by Bethany Bruner. And there are some things in this story that I think should have been in the lead of the story. They are not in the lead of the story. They're not in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth paragraph of the story. They are at the bottom of the story. And I believe it is because the dispatch delights in furthering a narrative in the city that police are out of hand and out of line in shooting black men, or in this case, a black youth. We will have officers, not CPD officers. One is a CPD officer in the death of Andre Hills, a CPD officer. In the death of Casey Goodson, it is a sheriff's deputy, and I hold off on saying which county because I'm not sure and I don't want to be wrong, but it was a sheriff's deputy working in concert with federal marshals when Casey Goodson died. Of course, the... Micaiah Bryant shooting, since been ruled justified, although it took over a year, which is absolutely ridiculous. It shouldn't have taken a week. But Bethany Bruner writes, The official autopsy report has determined that a 13-year-old who was killed in October was shot twice, including a fatal wound to his chest. Uh, Back when I was doing this, Bethany, you put the news in the first paragraph. Everybody already knew what you put in that first paragraph. She goes through how the uh, shooter was initially charged. Charges were dismissed several days later. And then about six paragraphs in, she goes, The autopsy report dispels rumors that had circulated online in recent weeks that Reed had been shot multiple times in the back. Why is that not in the first paragraph? Why is that not? Allegations made by the family, reports online have said 
He was shot in the back, but he wasn't. Why is that not in the lead? So only one shot One is shot. What it says? No, two shots. He was two. hitting the wrist. Okay. Sorry, I didn't hear that. He was hit in the wrist on his right hand, and he was also hit in the chest, right side of the chest, damaged his heart and lung before exiting through his back. That should have been in the lead, as should have been the fact that bullet wounds struck Reed in a trajectory that went from front to back. Dispelling rumors, Reed was struck in the back. So the primary allegations made in many of these protests and press conferences have been that Sinze Reed was doing nothing wrong and that he was shot multiple times in the back. Well, he was not shot multiple times and he was not shot in the back. But that's not in the lead of this story because, of course, it's not in the lead of this story because the dispatch does not want to tell the truth for fear of falling into disfavor with activists in this city who have perpetuated lies about this case. This also should have been high up in the story, but it is even lower in the story. The autopsy says that Sinze Reed died of a homicide, and everybody goes, oh, homicide, homicide, it's a murder, it's a murder. A homicide only means that one person did something that resulted in the death of another, but it does not mean that a crime has been committed. If somebody breaks into your house and you have a weapon in your house and you shoot that person dead, that person died by homicide. Justifiable homicide. There are homicides that are justifiable. And it appears at this point in the investigation, at least, that the authorities must believe that this was a justifiable homicide. Otherwise, the man who did the shooting would be in jail. But he is not. He is not charged. Now, there are reports and there are have been quotes attributed to the sister of the shooter that when he came to her house after this incident took place that his truck had bullet holes in it so here is what i believe you are going to eventually hear from authorities in this case that sinze reed had a weapon that sinze reed fired that weapon and that sinze reed struck the vehicle in which this other person was. And that this person also had a weapon and fired a weapon at Sinze Reed, and it will be for authorities to determine whether this person was justified in firing at Sinze Reed. I don't know if they will be able to determine who fired first, but that is certainly something that I am sure they are working to Resolve. And here's the good news for Sinze Reed's family. There is no statute of limitations, no expiration on filing charges related to a homicide. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.